0: Today, we're going to be joined by a guest with a little more technical expertise on the largest DeFi hack that ever went down. Now, from what I've seen online, some people are arguing that it's not technically a hack, and some people have been arguing it's not technically DeFi. So I've seen a lot of different arguments I'd love to jump into and talk about today. Um, and I'm looking forward to that conversation. But before we do, I just want to quickly let you guys know that the podcast will be joined next week by Phil Helmuth. Should be a good one. On the 16th, he will be joining Uh, Looking forward to talking to Phil and chatting about uh, what's going on with him. Always a good guest to have on the show. Um, With that out of the way, let's go ahead and introduce today's guest. Uh, We are joined by Ethereum developer, Sushi Swap developer, Mudik Gupta. Welcome to the podcast, man. Hey everyone, Uh, it's nice to be here. Thank you for taking the time today to join us and uh, discuss this because. When this went down yesterday, there was a lot of panic. I don't know about for you, but for for me, I was instantly just trying to make sure I was okay. I didn't lose any money. Nothing happened. Um, and there was a bit of confusion, I think, in some chats where people felt like it was Matic, the network or Polygon, the network and not just the bridge. Uh, and I think that uh, that caused some panic and, and it, I'm glad that that didn't turn out to be the case. Yeah, definitely. There are multiple projects that start
1: with the poly prefix. So the original one was or is polymath.network. Then uh, you have polygon network and uh, poly network. So the protocol that ha- got hacked was obviously poly network. The other two are perfectly fine. Uh, so, yeah, there was some unnecessary panic from confusion. Um, but I think almost everyone has figured it out by now.
0: I would hope so. It has it has been a day, but let's let's just kind of take a step back and talk about this big picture so we can break this down for people that might not be familiar with what happened. So yesterday, there was a DeFi hack, and we can get into the way we can specifically call it later that conversation, but essentially, a hacker stole just over $600 million. Uh, my understanding is that they exploited a bridge, the O3 bridge, Where funds were essentially being transferred cross chain. uh, And they found a way to essentially steal this money to the tune of over $600 million. And then afterwards, they essentially started talking through the the transaction logs uh, or or whatever part of the code in the transaction so you could see what they were saying. And a dialogue started to develop between the hacker and and kind of the community. I mean, it wasn't that there was an exact back and forth from the community at large. Uh, but we could see what the hacker was saying. And he had all kinds of different funny notes that he left and things that he was talking about. Uh, and then so far today, he's actually began returning some of the money. I think at the time of this recording, he's returned something around half-ish or so, maybe a little bit less than that or a little more than that, but something to, uh, to that effect. Could you explain for people that might not be familiar with cryptocurrency hacks or what is the scope of this? What, what Can you maybe just talk a little bit about your thoughts on the scope of this event? Um,
1: yes. Yeah, so let's start with what exactly happened. Um, so a uh, summary of that will be uh, Poly.Network has a product that allows you to bridge tokens from one blockchain to a different blockchain. So you can move tokens from Ethereum to, let's say, Binance Smart Chain. The way that works is you lock tokens on one blockchain, and then you are issued some P tokens um, on the other blockchain. So if you lock your ETH on Ethereum, um, you can get P ETH on uh, Binance Smart Chain. This is the expected flow. Everyone should be locking tokens before they get the P tokens. But what Hacker did, um, after a bunch of complex steps, at the end, they managed to uh, trick the system in... um, Unlocking the tokens—that is, like giving them back the um, ETH and um, other tokens—without them having to lock the original token uh, on, on the other chain. So, um, if a normal bridge is like you lock token on ETH, you got you get token on BSC. Uh, what hacker did was they didn't lock any tokens on ETH, but still got tokens uh, on BSC. So um, that way, they were able to like extract all the funds that were locked in the bridge at that moment.
0: How were they able to do that? Because normally you need some kind of verification that those tokens are locked in order to receive the other tokens, correct? And by the way, if I see something wrong, feel free to completely just cut me off. Like, no, 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 that's yeah. incorrect because I'm not the technical guy here. Um, but that is that correct? You need, you need to have some kind of proof that you have these tokens locked yeah. in order to receive these other tokens. How was the hacker able to bypass that or fake that Um, yes so the way uh, poly network works
1: is that they have a list of trusted keepers and um, like those trusted keepers need to verify all of these uh, blocks on different blockchains and ensure that um, the blocks are legit and people have actually locked their tokens and stuff like that Uh, usually uh, as long as these trusted keepers are honest uh, there's no problem uh, what the attacker managed to do was replace the list of this trusted keepers with uh, their own malicious keeper. So they kicked out these uh, genuine good keepers out of the system and introduced their own malicious keeper who uh, signed all of these unlocked transactions without uh, the attacker having to lock any tokens. Um, so that allowed them to withdraw tokens. The process of replacing the... Uh, genuine keepers with this malicious keeper was a bit more involved it um, took a mix of like a couple of bugs or exploits um, or like drawbacks in the contract design Uh, and uh, i have a blog post explaining this in detail but the way they did was that they exploited the fact that poly network is a generic message passing protocol it does not only support bridging tokens from one chain to another, but it also supports passing a generic message from one blockchain to another. So, like you can do any any arbitrary transaction on one blockchain and have it repeated on the other blockchain. So, um, what they essentially did was do a transaction that um, gave them the keepers, like that replaced the keepers on one blockchain. It obviously failed um, because they didn't have the permission on that blockchain to do it. But when the keepers uh, verified that block and it was re-executed on the other blockchains, it actually went through fine. Um, The reason that happened because in the original uh, blockchain, the transaction is done by the user. So the system sees that the user is trying to do such an admin task. uh, We should reject this and fail the transaction. But when you do a cross-chain transaction, uh, the transaction on the second network is not done by the user, but by the smart contract itself. So now the smart contract is seeing that the transaction is coming from a trusted smart contract, and I should uh, proceed and allow this action to happen. That basically allowed the user to uh, replace the keepers list with their own malicious one. And once that happened, they could... um, order that a polynetwork system to do any arbitrary transaction that they wanted.
0: Well wow, that, that seems that seems like a very complex way of doing this. Have we ever seen a hack with this type of strategy before? Is this is this something brand new or have you heard of this before? So this
1: exact strategy is brand new um, because polynetwork has a relatively unique architecture um, that works across so many different blockchains. Um, so we haven't really seen a previ- prior hack that exploits this cross blockchain uh, communication, um, and in that regard, this is indeed a new, uh, novel hack. That's,
0: I mean, that's actually pretty interesting to see a brand new strategy being used here. I think when I when I look at the last, you know, let's say six nine months of def- the DeFi space, I think that most of the attacks have been flash loan based. Um, would you would you would you agree with that, or or is there a wide array of things happening in terms of people hacking? And I've seen I've seen arguments about this. Maybe this is a good conversation to have too. What are your thoughts on using the term hack? Because I think a lot of a lot of people, including I have I have a good friend of mine who is a developer, and he doesn't like when people use the word hack in a lot of situations because he he thinks that if it's your if the code is being used as it was written and it's been written incorrectly, and then someone uses that to steal money, that isn't a hack, he he, he feels very strongly about this. What's your thought on that? Um, So there are, I think, two coins to this, um, like two sides
1: to this coin. One is the original meaning of a hack. Um, A lot of people think that it is a negative term, that is like it is something malicious by default, but a hack is really just something smart. Um, So like if you do something smart, you can call it a hack. Um, So in that regards, I think this was a hack. This was a smart move, um, and uh, I have no shame calling this a hack. Now, the other side is, was this a malicious thing or something that should be illegal? Uh, like, if it's if we follow code is law, then I think this was uh, correct or whatnot. On that side of uh, discussion, my personal opinion is that I don't think code is law is, um, code is law is like universally true. Um, I don't think it really, uh, it's, it's a theoretical concept that should happen in theory, but in practical world where we live, um, nobody is going to um, like agree code is law. If you do something like this, uh, sovereign entities and uh, whatnot will come after you. Um, You can claim as much as you want that code is law and all of this was legit and whatnot. You can even gather rallies of supporters behind you. But uh, that is, at the end of the day, at least in this current world, not going to help you uh, against prosecution and uh, legal proceedings.
0: What are your thoughts on the way that the sort of the, the community has banded together against this guy and the number of people that have kind of stepped in and said, We're going to, you know, do what we can. Try to blacklist addresses. Uh, Obviously, CZ was tweeting about things, tweeting about this as as CZ does from time to time. Uh, So, what were your thoughts on that? uh, On how many people were sort of working together to try and get this guy? Do we worry? And I think back to the original split in Ethereum between Ethereum and Ethereum Classic. do, Do we worry about centralization where people can step in and try and fix these things? Is there a line there that we need to be careful not to cross? Or do you think the ends justify the means when it comes to coming after a hacker that has stolen a bunch of money?
1: Um, yes. Yeah, so I don't think ends justify the, justify the means. Uh, but at the same time, most of these companies that are helping um, were doing this because of one of two reasons. Either they had their funds invested in the project as well. So they had uh, money at risk or they were forced by the regulatory requirements. Um, So these traditional, uh, like, centralized companies, um, these have compliance requirements to the governments. They can't allow this, like, um, dirty money in some sense to uh, be transacted freely. So um, they are, they might, not really be interested in blocking the attacker or helping the poly network project, but they are more interested in saving themselves from uh, future legal actions.
0: I guess though, how, so how are they saving themselves from future legal action? Because it wasn't their, they didn't make the decision, right? If a hacker hijacks your company or or, or some part of your company and does something malicious with it, are you really held responsible as the company for that happening? Is that, is that really true? Um, so in the DeFi world, you are not.
1: But in the traditional world, uh, where you have a legal entity and whatnot, you are. So uh, let's say if you are a bank and if terrorists started using your services, the government will come after you. Um, so like you need to be actively compliant and make sure no bad parties are uh, using so your services it's a different question if defi companies should be doing this um, i personally don't think that it's the responsibility of defi startups to be uh, doing these sorts of compliance uh, i'm not even sure like uh, what compliance level even the traditional companies should follow uh, but at the end of the day the companies who have like legal registered entities who, who are traditional finance companies who are, who are just like stepping into the defi world they are trying to follow these norms, these government rules and regulations, just to prevent future uh, legal actions.
0: And I definitely agree with you there that uh, banks will aggressively take stances against people that uh, you know may be terrorists or drug money launderers or drug dealers because they they shut me down for some gambling um, that may or may not have been going on in my career. Uh, and and I lost my Bank of America Bank of America account permanently. So I've I've seen that action, seen that in action. This is a little bit of a tangent, but it's a subject that I'm interested in, and and I guess I just wanted some kind of more clear opinion on. Um, I think there's a bit of an argument about how decentralized DeFi really is, right? Because of course these smart contracts they they operate independently and um, they abide by the code that they're written with but then the the entities that are creating these smart contracts are obviously quite centralized you think about uniswap that uniswap had a series a at some point uh when they were formatting forming so how decentralized are these protocols really and what happens if let's just say good old uncle sam wants to crack down on these shadowy crypto coders or whatever uh, elizabeth warren said let's say that uncle sam wants to come down hard on on people for this what exactly can they do can they shut down these platforms obviously the contracts will still exist what do you think the line is there how centralized are these really and could could these decentralized protocols really withstand the attack from, from a major entity like like the u.s government from a nation state
1: Yes, so that depends on project-to-project. The reality of this space is that 95% of the projects that call themselves DeFi projects, they are not decentralized. Uh, They are centralized projects that just are using the blockchain and smart contracts to trick people into thinking that they are decentralized. Um, If a sovereign entity wanted to take action against these projects, um, it will take them no time to shut these down. Um, or uh, they will like, immediately have to cease operations and stuff. So these 95% of the projects can't handle the heat. Uh, on the other hand, there are real 5% projects, and Uniswap is uh, one of them, who don't have uh, much control over their protocol. So even if the US government was to knock on the door of every Uniswap developer and like take them in or whatever, They will never be able to stop the protocol itself that is deployed on the Ethereum blockchain, and nobody can stop it. Um, They will, uh, the government can definitely like block websites, um, so like people can't access those websites easily. Um, They can uh, like prevent people from promoting it, but they can't stop the underlying protocol. I think we have seen this in the past with torrents. Um, I'm not sure if. Uh, you have ever used torrents or pirated stuff. But no, you know, I've never, the, I have no clue what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so <laughs> the, the Pirate Bay is one major example. The government keeps trying to take the Pirate Bay down. They have uh, blocked their website a lot of times and whatnot, but they have never managed to take down the torrent um uh, bit torrent protocol itself, and that can never happen that's the same story with Ethereum and the protocols deployed on it. Ethereum cannot be taken down by the government and 5% of the actually decentralized projects, those cannot be taken down. But uh, some uh, like 95% of those uh, fake uh, projects or whatnot, those can indeed be taken by taken down by the governments.
0: Let's say the government decides that they, they're going to KYC or know your customer, essentially ask for ID for all transactions that are happening on these protocols. Is there a way they can actually enforce that? Is there a way that they can make Uniswap have to KYC people? Or, I mean, obviously, I, I my, my instinct is that they can't do that, but I guess I also don't really know what... What the people at uniswap would do if something like that happened and i think these are good questions to ask because the just the pure size of DeFi and the space how much it's grown in the last year or two and where things are headed and the fact that you know maybe the government the us government right now doesn't exactly know what cryptocurrency is and they're trying to figure it out but at some point when these markets get large enough they'll be noticed and the government will will try and have policies that you know hopefully make sense, but might not might not. And I guess my question would be if they tr- if they try to force KYC measures onto companies like Uniswap or um, or Sushi or whatever, what what uh, what happens there?
1: Yeah. So there are two coins to this. Uh, one is like basically all in all these exchanges or uh, dexes like Sushi Uniswap. We have our smart contracts on the Ethereum and we have a UI, uh, the website that people use to trade. So sushi.com is our website and people can go on to use our smart contracts. Um, No government can impose any KYC restrictions on the smart contracts. They are already deployed. They cannot be changed. Um, So that's out of the question. But the governments can come to companies like Sushi and Uniswap. Uh, well, Sushi, not really a company, but government can uh, like tell these developers to stop offering their services or their websites in the United States um, or comply to these KYC requirements. Uh, now, it will be up to these companies, um, Uniswap, Sushi, um, etc. Um, either they will have to... Um, follow the government's guidelines or move their business outside the united states um, because like you can't really be doing something which the government is telling you not to do um so uh, not sure what strategy these companies like there are discussions going on internally on sushi in sushi as well and uniswap as well uh not sure what the outcomes of those will be. Sushi is a community-run project. It's not run by a central entity. Um, Whatever the community decides uh, will be done at Sushi. So uh, we we are not sure the direction we'll take, but uh, we know that this is a threat. If the government wants to block the sushi.com UI, for example, in the streets, they will be able to do that. Um, Obviously, people will still be able to use third-party UIs or use the smart contracts directly but they won't be able to use our uh, UIs and the services
0: we offer on our website. Okay, that's a, that's a great answer. Thank you. Um, let's go back and talk about the hack, though. So I want to talk a little bit about bridges and I want to talk about um, multi-blockchain. I mean, when you look at a bridge, you're really talking about multi-blockchain, right? Because bridges are to move assets from one blockchain to another blockchain. Uh, personally, I've always hated bridges. They sketch me out. I always feel I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing when I'm doing using a bridge. Uh, so I'm not a big fan of bridges to begin with. And then when this went down, I had several friends that uh, lost chunks of money that using these bridges. I guess my question is: What is the risk level of these bridges? Essentially, these multi-blockchain bridges. What is the what's the risk level like of using them? And then kind of a second layer question of that, what are the safest, best options for people in order to, to sort of protect themselves from something like this happening?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so there are um, some bridges which are totally decentralized. Um, there are like plasma bridges and stuff which are slow. That is like, you might have to wait uh, a couple of days before your funds actually move over. But these are decentralized and are relatively safe. Uh, Then there are also completely centralized bridges, uh, like the ones um, offered by Binance um, and ExpoLinate and some services like that. These are more risky um, because the uh, entity that is running these bridges can become malicious and steal your funds. And also uh, the people who are like these smart contracts, etc., most of these bridges have some sort of keeper system that uh, Poly Network had. So, some trusted entities that verify these transfers. Um, if there is a smart contract bug or these entities become malicious, then again, your funds uh, are at risk. So, in general, um, on my side, I personally do avoid using bridges. And when I do use bridges, um, I try to Uh, Like, for example, in the poly network uh, bridge, when you bridge tokens, if there there wasn't enough liquidity, in some cases you will get P tokens rather than native tokens. Um, So uh, I would try to never hold onto these P tokens. I would try to swap them um, for the native tokens or some other tokens um, as soon as possible. That way I'm de-risking my exposure. Once I've used the bridge and I'm done with it, if the bridge then gets hacked, uh, I may not be affected because I've already like moved my funds over to a different coin or something. Um, so it's sort of like using centralized exchanges, using them for swapping some tokens is fine. But everyone tells you to not keep all your tokens on these exchanges, because if they get hacked in future, um, you will lose your coins.
0: Could you Similarly, explain? i oh, sorry, I thought you'd finish. Go ahead.
1: Um, no, I was just concluding. Like similarly with bridges, once you have used them, move over, remove your permissions and stuff. Don't hold on to these bridge
0: tokens. What exactly are P tokens? Could you explain what what those are a little bit more in depth? Yeah, sure. So, uh, for some assets, um,
1: when you bridge tokens, you were issued P tokens rather than native tokens. So um, in the early days, um, let's take the example of E to BAC again there was no there is no native ethereum on bsc so if you moved your ethereum to binance smart chain you can't get ethereum on bsc because there's no native ethereum or there wasn't no et- native ethereum on uh, bsc so what poly network did was it issued p ethereum um, which was uh, an artificial or derivative token that was pegged to ethereum um, so poly network said that you get this monopoly token. You can use it like it was Ethereum. You can do whatever with it. And when you are done using it, you can swap it back for real Ethereum um, by doing the reverse process, moving the funds from BSC to Ethereum. Um, so this was the P token process. Uh, in this, like if you are holding to these P tokens, then you are always at risk. If the bridge becomes uh, bridges hacked at any moment, these P tokens will lose value. But if you uh, were to like immediately trade these P tokens for, let's say, BNB on Binance Smart Chain, then you are not really uh, vulnerable or like exposed to the bridge exploit anymore. Even if the bridge was hugged after this, uh, like your trade, you don't really care. You already have the BNB token. You, You don't have any P token that is going to crash in price or anything like that.
0: Right, so the P token's value is secured against the assets that are locked yeah. on the other blockchain, basically. Exactly. All right, so it's it seems, it's a little bit similar to wrap Bitcoin in a way, except yeah. rather than having faith in the bridge, you have faith in the entity that's holding the Bitcoin to redeem the wrap yeah. Bitcoin, right? That's sort of the. Yeah, it's it's almost exactly the same thing. Okay. Cool. All right. Um. So. Talking about uh, Plasma, so you mentioned that in terms of the bridge options, we have Plasma, we have centralized, and then I don't know if you said a third thing there or not. Um, are there different types of decentralized bridges? I know Plasma is the one. When you say Plasma, I think of Polygon, and I think about how long it can take you to get your Ethereum from Polygon back over to to mainnet Ethereum. Um, are there different kinds of Plasma bridges, or are there bridges that are not Plasma? Could you talk a little bit about, a little bit about Plasma? yeah sure so i think polygon has
1: the only live uh, plasma bridge um it is meant to be decentralized um the uh, like the people participating in the network uh, verify everything you can issue a challenge if you see something wrong um, and get your tokens back so um it all works great but due to the fact that you need to wait for some time so that like people can verify all of this stuff and if anyone sees anything wrong, you need to give them time to issue a challenge and stuff like that. Um, there is a delay um, on Polygon. I think it's seven days. I'm not exactly sure. But yes, there is a delay before uh, tokens go through. But at the end of the day, this is safer than your normal bridges, um, at least from one type of attack vector. There are still some attack vectors uh, that make this bridge not like 100% secure, but is it is relatively secure. There are plasma-like bridges um, on other upcoming stuff. So um, roll-ups like Arbitrum, Optimism, and these guys will also um, offer some kinds of bridges. Um, these will again be closer. These are not plasma bridges, but are very close to what plasma bridge does. These will tame. These bridges will take a bit of time to move your funds, but if um, like these will be. Uh, Almost completely decentralized. If you see anything going wrong, you will be allowed to issue a challenge and stop any like wrong transaction or whatever.
0: Interesting. Um, Talking about the technique that this hacker used with the replacing the trusted keepers with the malicious ones. What what does this mean moving forward? Because I I guess what are some what are the effects of this? What does this mean in the future? How can how is this easy is this something that's easy to protect people from and i guess kind of in order for this to have worked as it did was this more of a a private key leak type situation or a real defi exploit what do you think so it was a real defi exploit um so um, in
1: my first analysis yesterday i was leaning towards a key leak but as more information emerged um like we now know that this was not a key leak but a uh, but an actual DeFi exploit. So um, on that, it was it is an easy-to-fix bug. Now that we know something like this can happen, it was a flaw in the design and some uh, minor smart contract bugs. Now that we have figured those out, what those flaws actually were, it's a relatively straightforward way to fix them. Um, I think Poly Network can like, fix those issues and do a relaunch or upgrade their contracts or something like that. Um, I don't see much problem there. And uh, for future, obviously now that this has caught so much limelight and people are actually reading about it, um, I think future developers will take care that they do not have similar exploits or vulnerabilities in their own systems.
0: I would hope so. After something like this magnitude, I would hope that people are a little more on top of it. to protect themselves is it is this an easy upgrade that you said it's just simple for it would be simple for protocols to upgrade to defend themselves against this
1: um, so the code changes are easy but the logistics will be hard moving everyone from the old contract to the new contract um, because i don't think the contract itself is upgradable on polynetwork so you'll have to migrate everyone from using the old system to the new system and the logistics involved in that can be hard like explaining people what's going on how to move from old system to the new system it can take some time uh, but from the code point of view it's a simple fix
0: are there any other networks that are immediately immediately threats to have this happen to them or any other bridges that that Basically, are there things that people can are the things people should be avoiding right now to protect themselves until this has all been fleshed out and has been fixed on other bridges other blockchains is there anything that people should be trying to avoid
1: um yeah so firstly like I don't know of any other project that has the same vulnerability I don't think anyone uses poly networks architecture so um that's on that but in terms of general advices to avoid like such hacks and stuff, one will be that on Ethereum, um, if you like bridge any assets, you usually have to approve the token before you can bridge it. Um, so on that, try to approving only as much as you want to swap or bridge, not all of your balance. This will mean that in case of a future exploit or something, uh, only the funds that you have bridged will be at risk, not all of your funds in your wallets. But- and this is one thing. Secondly, um, whenever you use a bridge, as I said, Try to not hold on to the P tokens or uh, similar tokens of these bridges. Try to get exit liquidity and uh, convert your tokens immediately to the native tokens, um, so that like even if the hack happens at a later date, you are all good. You have the native token directly. Um, So I think these are two main things uh, related to this hack that you should follow. Third point, which is quite specific to Poly Network, um, I personally. Do not feel comfortable using smart contracts that are not verified on Etherscan. Um, Polynetworks Network smart contracts were not, or are not verified on Etherscan. So we don't exactly know the code they are running, um, and that is one reason why I personally don't uh, like really want to use such projects because I can't tell what they are doing exactly. I know what they are promising to do. But I can't verify that myself uh, without going to much trouble. So um, I keep my uh, leg distance. But also I know that Poly.Networks was mainly used in China, not in the outside world. So it is possible that they verified their contracts uh, for in a service that the Chinese users use. Uh, I'm not aware of any such thing, but yeah, that is possible.
0: Talking back about this hack and what's been happening with the money. So the money was taken, I want to say, something like 30, 36 hours ago. And over that period of time, more information about the hacker has kind of come forward. We obviously we don't have a name or anything like that, but it it appears that he may have somehow linked an address that he had KYC'd to the accounts that he had the money sent to. And my question to you on that is: How do you make that mistake? How do you how do you have a link to your real identity when you're trying to steal hundreds of millions? I mean, the guy said in the transaction that he could have taken a billion if he wanted to empty out all the shit coins, like I guess the dog coins or whatever else was was on there. Uh, how does someone make such a basic mistake while doing such a complex strategy here to steal this money? Yep, sure. Uh, so on that. I think there
1: are a lot of things that uh, you can miss when doing uh, this kind of stuff. So uh, I don't know what background this person has. Maybe they are well aware uh, about blockchains, but not really about traditional security. Um, so maybe they didn't uh, like um, use a VPN or something or like block their connections and stuff. Uh, but honestly, I feel like, um, uh, it, there is a real high chance that the address we see that is used with the KYC account does not actually belong to the attacker, but it is a stolen account of some sorts. Um, using stolen accounts is a known, commonly known practice uh, Like when it comes to these kinds of attacks. The hackers used use these cracked accounts, hacked accounts, and stuff like that to derail investigations. Uh, There might be some gentleman uh, like in different corner of the world who is just sipping coffee and has police knocking on their door. Suddenly uh, they might have no idea what's going on. So um, this is good from hackers point of view because they have derailed investigations. They have wasted the time of these investigators while keeping their own identity secure. So um, this is one thing that could have been happening here. But it's also highly possible that the, this attacker just slipped up. Um, it like, They forgot to hide their identity properly or something like that. Um, and this is like very, very possible because in the past, uh, they have returned, like recently they have returned a lot of funds back. They have returned all of the funds from BSE and some from Polygon Ethereum. I think overall they have returned around $200, $280 million back. And now they are claiming that they are a white hack. They did this hack to save the project. They did this so that uh, other people don't do it uh, and stuff like that. So there is a chance that they really messed up and now they have noticed it. So they are trying to turn the tide and claiming that they're not a bad person. They are a good person. Leave them alone and uh, stuff like that.
0: Looking at the funds specifically, And these numbers are, of course, always changing because prices are fluctuating. But it looks like we have about 272 million stolen on the Ethereum blockchain, 253 million stolen on the BSC blockchain, and then 85 million on the Polygon uh, blockchain. And the entire BSC balance has been returned. So all Binance Smart Chain money has been returned one one of the 85 million has been returned on polygon and then some uh unknown exact number has been returned on ethereum so we're looking at you know let's just say half has been returned i think for for context the largest defi hack like this that i can think of was what 60 70 million so even with the current amount, even with half of the money sent back, we're looking at something that is around five times bigger than any amount that has ever been lost in the DeFi space.
1: Yep, that's true. This was a massive hack. It was almost 10 times than the previous record holder. Uh, so yeah, definitely this was a real big uh, hack.
0: Do you, think, do you think that there's safety in when you're looking at platforms potentially farm on? Do you think there's safety in using the platforms to have a higher TVL? Because one thing that I look at when I'm considering my options is, is there a lot of money here already? Because it feels more safe. If there's a lot of money here, then probably a lot of people have tried hard to steal this money and have, have not been successful. Is there logic to that? Yes, there is. Um, and Uh, it might be false sense of security uh, in
1: some way. So um, honestly, I feel similar thing about bug bounties. Um, I see like if a project has like $1 million bug bounty, um, you get, you tend to have a feeling of security that if someone hasn't found a bug for like $1 million, this protocol must be secure. In reality, it's also possible that people, uh, everyone thought this, the hackers also thought this, like, there's a one as an hacker i might think that since there is a one million dollar bug bounty here definitely 10 people before me have tried and failed so uh like i, I shouldn't be wasting time on this myself um so that can ha- also happen with large projects if you see like uh large projects that have a billion dollar in TVL and stuff a lot of uh seasoned attackers or hackers will not even try to hack those because they will just see like they'll just say hundreds of people must people must have already tried attacking this protocol you know it might be true hundreds might have tried but it's also possible everyone thought the same thing and nobody actually tried it um so yeah like you can never get guarantees by tvl but generally speaking um it is true that the higher the tvl more people are attracted to the project uh, and uh, more hackers are also attracted. So it is usually more battle tested, but uh, there is no guarantee that this relationship will
0: be true. Makes, makes sense to me. I'm reading through this, this and this has been happening, started happening right before we went, went live here, this conversation between the hacker and Poly Network. And he's doing a and a in the transaction line. Have you seen this? Yeah, I've seen the first two
1: bots. I'm
0: not sure if they did another one. Just, just a quick reading here for you guys. Q&A, part one. Why hacking? For fun. Why Poly Network? Because cross-chain hacking is hot. Why transferring tokens to keep it safe? Doesn't make sense. When spotting the bug, I had mixed feeling. Ask yourself what to do. Had you facing so much fortune, asking the project team politely so they can fix it. Anyone could be the trader given 1 billion. I can trust nobody. I'm not going to go through reading all of this because it, it has a bit of a rambly, uh, I don't know, someone that's not maybe not had any sleep in a while and probably still has some adrenaline going through their veins. and what it, it's, a, it's a bit of an interesting situation. People can, of course, read the, read the Q&A. Um, Do you think, I mean, at this point, when we're looking at the remaining imbalance, it's kind of strange to me that they decided, okay, I'm going to send some back and they send half of it back. And now there's been a little bit of a delay for more money. It seems that the person doesn't really know what they want to do with this. So my idea is that they are trying to negotiate
1: with the team, the best terms, they don't want to give back hundred percent of the funds. Um, they want to get as much as they can in bug bounties or whatever. So, like, they still want to make a good payday out of this. Uh, so, I think their idea is like, since the amount is so large, six hundred million dollars, you can't really uh, like launder this via traditional methods or get fiat money out of this. There is no liquidity on any platform that offers such trades without KYC. Um, So the attacker might have realized this in the last few hours. So they might have changed their strategy from trying to like launder all of this money to returning, let's say, 90% of this and keeping the 10%. Um, And they say that this 10% now is legit white money, which has been offered to them as a bug bounty, as a reward. 10% of 600 is still $60 million, which is a life-changing amount. And and this money now they will be able to um, convert to real fiat if they wanted to, even by going through KYC exchanges and stuff. So they will not have any legal troubles um, if they did this right. Um, So I think they are just um, analyzing their options and um, trying to. Uh, pick the safer route um, rather than uh, like trying to get 600 million with high risk. They are preferring to get maybe 60, maybe I'm not sure like what the negotiations are uh, going around, but they are probably trying to get a fraction in real white money, which they can uh,
0: safely use. What what kind of, what do you think in your personal opinion, should Poly Network, what should their stance be here? Because while, you know, 60 million. Okay. So when you, when you're facing losing 600 million, losing 60 seems pretty nice, but at the end of the day, this is still 60 million in stolen funds. This isn't, this wasn't a bug bounty. This was, they stole the money and they're now trying to make it a bug bounty so they can keep some of the money. What, what sort of line should they set? I mean, obviously they're in an awkward situation, right? Because they are still owed 300 million. So they don't want to potentially lose out on a lot of that money but then any amount you give the hacker that's significant in terms of percentage is a lot of real world money what do you think poly network should be doing here
1: yeah uh, so i think they should take out a page from your uh, traditional uh, like hostage situations of sort um uh, i think it's fair to assume that this is some sort of a uh, not really a typical hostage situation but a position where like um Someone has taken over your funds and is blackmailing you and stuff like that. Um, So the proposed approach is to give into the demands of the attacker. Uh, At this moment, if the attacker is demanding 10% as uh, rewards, give into that demand, give them 10% and at least secure the remaining 90% back. Once you have the 90% back in your wallet, then nobody is stopping you from again pursuing that uh, person uh, via traditional legal methods, or however you were originally pursuing them for the remaining ten percent funds. Um, so it is like um, in your if you go in legal terms, it will be expected that you gave into demands when um, when you were blackmailed. But those demands does not imply that you no longer have right to go after this this person in the future. Um, so I think the white hacker also. Needs to take this into uh, like c- consideration that even if Poly Network agrees to a deal, uh, once they get the money, they might not uh, hold up their end of the bargain and still go after the person. Um, I think that's this is the risk that comes with uh, these uh, sort of things. So um, yeah, like at the end of the day, it really there is uh, something that will be in spirit with all of these DeFi stuff, that will be that the Poly Network team does not pursue the hacker after um, they have refund, returned the money. They let the hacker live peacefully and keep their reward. But uh, due to the nature, how real organizations work, most likely the org will not be happy letting go $60 million like to waste or something. They won't be happy parting ways with that ki- uh, kind of money. So my guess is that they will still try to go after this person. Maybe not today, uh, maybe not next week, but sometime in the future to recoup all of these costs.
0: Is the 10% number, has that been said somewhere publicly or are you just using that as an example?
1: No, that is just an example. So 10% is your like traditional standard number that is awarded for uh, critical vulnerabilities. So if you find a critical vulnerability, um, it's like finder's fee. Um, so 10% is usually the finder's fee uh, in these sort of things.
0: Maybe that fee should should change at scale because if you found a bug in a $1 million protocol versus a $1 billion protocol, I don't know if if 10% makes exact sense in, in both of those scenarios.
1: Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. Um, so um,
0: uh, honestly, I
1: think polling.network is also trying to, play the same argument, uh, they must be trying to na- like lower the number. Um, but yeah, like, I agree with you. There should be a cap or like decreasing percentage based on the total amount.
0: So that, that just about does it for all of the questions here that I had for you. Um, did you, do you have any kind of final comments on this, this issue? Uh, some things people can think about moving forward. I mean, you've been pretty clear don't own P tokens, if you can avoid them, um, Make sure that you're using protocols that are verified in Etherscan if possible. Um, Avoid centralized agencies when possible. Uh, You're a fan of the the plasma bridge approach. I mean, I think you've had a lot of good good notes here, but do you you have any kind of final thoughts on this, uh, on either how this is gonna play out or things people should be aware of or any general thoughts?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So in my mind, the way this uh, plays out is, the hacker returns most of the funds. They keep uh, a portion as a reward or something. Uh, everything settles down for a week or two weeks. And then out of the blue, we'll see that uh, there is a court order or something. And um, this network or some organization, like, whoever lost money in this, um, because not only network lost money, but other folks did as well. They are going after this uh, white hack. I don't think they will go after the this person with all force till they have like solid evidence of who this is, uh, and like they can prove this. So um, I expect the situation to settle down for at least a bu- at least a while. But um, if too much down the line people are able to get solid proof, I totally expect there to be uh, traditional legal proceeding uh, pro- proceedings against this person.
0: As there should be, because I think if you steal $200 from a register at a grocery store, you're probably going to be prosecuted for that. So I think $600 million might clear the bar too. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, thank you for taking the time to come on. I really appreciate it. It's nice to have uh, someone that knows their stuff come on and explain. And by the way, guys, if you want to follow what's been happening with this, I'd recommend heading over to Twitter and following Mudit Gupta. It's Mudit, two underscores. Gupta last name. Uh, I'm sorry for butchering that. It, it, if I if I did so, um, doing my best. But I would definitely recommend checking him out. Lots of very interesting tweets, so you can stay up to date on what's been happening there. Uh, what what else you what else you tweet about, Mudit? What else do you? Else do you,
1: about, else do you... Um, yes, sure. So uh, I mostly tweet about uh, like these hacks and stuff. Um, I tweet about my opinions about different projects. Um, security advisories and stuff like that. So if I see a protocol being exploited and people... Still have time to get out. I post news about that, like, hey, uh, this stuff is going down. Exit your positions as soon as possible. So, um, yeah, like I try to also educate people. So um, I write blog posts and educational posts. Um, I strongly believe in sharing is caring. So if I gain any knowledge, I try to share that with as many people as possible so that we can all
0: grow together um, as Humankind, <laughs> humankind, nice, good way to close it out. We're growing as humankind. Nothing like yeah. closing out the the, the video on uh, the podcast on someone stealing six hundred million dollars with "Let's grow humankind." <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Moodit, thank you very much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. And to the audience, guys, thank you for tuning in. This is the first pod we've done live. I know we've been doing them recorded and then moving them over. If you miss a podcast live, they are going to be available on YouTube as well as your audio platform, Spotify and iTunes. You, of course, can head over there and check out those podcasts. Make sure to subscribe and follow if you have not already. Uh, I'm looking forward to the live, the live content style. I think it's a little bit better for things. We will be doing them live here on YouTube or on Twitch and then posting on those platforms. So that's going to do it here today. I hope you guys enjoyed this. learn a little bit about this hack. Thank you for tuning in. I'll see you guys again soon.